Well, hey, good morning, New Life Fellowship. Really good to be here in the house of the Lord with you this morning. Uh, happy Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, and also kind of like a pre-happy Valentine's Day to everyone as well. Uh, we are talking about marriage today, so it just kind of happens to fall on the right Sunday here. Um, just by a show of like woos, like how many of in here are cheering for the Chiefs? Whoa, nobody. Oh, oh, some, okay, maybe one or two. Okay, maybe it's just shyness. Okay, how about, how about the Eagles? Anybody cheering for the Eagles? All right, okay, <laughs> Eagles, a few Eagles fans here. Okay, all right. Um, well, if you guys remember, a few weeks back, I talked about um, these ads that are going to come out in the Super Bowl. They're called the He Gets Us ads, and they're 30 seconds. They're all about Jesus, and really their goal is to kind of do a PR campaign for Jesus. And, um, but, but what they're hoping for is that it will actually uh, lead to spiritual conversations where you're asking, hey, what's the purpose and meaning of life? And maybe if you're watching the Super Bowl today with a non-believer or somebody who has lots of questions, um, maybe you can start a spiritual conversation through that commercial, and uh, eventually maybe... Ask them if they'd like to come to the Alpha course with you. The Alpha course is, again, made for, designed for skeptics, doubt, uh, people with doubts, non-believers, uh, anyone and everyone in between. And all of the thoughts are welcome there. And, um, and so we encourage you, if you have friends or if you yourselves have just tons of questions, come and visit us. Uh, we're in week four now, uh, and it, but it's, it's still another great time to come out. It, it's on Thursdays at 6.30 p.m., uh, and it's just been a great time. The food's been great. The fellowship's been great. Um, and just the conversations have been just so amazing uh, these last three weeks. So we invite you to that. Um, well, welcome to all of you who are new. Uh, my name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors, uh, you know, and I would love to meet you after the service. So if you meet me back there uh, in that little um, uh, area that Pastor Clara had described, I would love to kind of meet you and hear your story and about how God had brought you uh, to this church. Uh, well, we've been going through a sermon series called The Greatest Sermon uh, Series Ever. And again, that's not an egotistical statement. That is just about the fact that we're studying the greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus Christ in Matthew 5-7. to And it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And um, the reason why we've done this is because, as we've said, this year is the year of greater faith. We feel like God wants to give you greater faith. And not only that, but God wants to challenge you to exercise your faith. Just like if you want to grow your muscles, you need to exercise them. In the same way, if you want to grow your faith, you have to exercise your faith. And what better way than to study and apply the Sermon on the Mount? The Sermon on the Mount, if you remember, is basically Jesus' teachings. And he's saying, look, the, my commands are upside down. They look foolish to the world. And I know they appear to be foolish, but just trust me and obey me and see that my words are good. And so we hope to exercise our faith as we obey Jesus. Now, in this particular portion of the sermon, Jesus has now said, look, your righteousness, the Christian's righteousness should exceed that of the Pharisees. It should go beyond that of the most religious people of the day. And in fact, he is now giving us six examples. And so if you remember, we talked about anger and murder and hatred. Then we looked at lusting and coveting as an example of how our, uh, uh, our response should go beyond those of even the most religious people. Then Pastor Clara last week talked about truth-telling, and today we're going to be looking at marriage and divorce. Okay, now, I do want to say this, okay? This passage is, of course, talking about divorce, but it's not primarily geared towards those who are divorced. It is actually geared towards people who are single and actually towards people who are married. 
And so I, I really want you to lean in. If you're single in here, like, okay, divorce, well, that doesn't even apply to me. I'm not even married yet. So, but, but I'm telling you, it actually applies a lot to you. And if you're married, it applies most to you, in fact, okay? So don't tune out yet. Uh, we, we hope that this uh, sermon is for everyone, really, okay? Uh, now, if you're, if you're able to, would you turn with me to Matthew 5? We're going to look at two short verses, 31 to 32. And then if at this time, if you're able, would you rise as we read God's word together? I'll read this for us. I'll say this is the word of the Lord. If you could respond with thanks be to God, I'll pray for us and then I'll seat you after the reading, after the prayer, sorry. All right, so this is the reading of God's word. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of, ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us and then I'll seat you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this text. God, we know it's a challenging text, but Lord, would you bless us here in the listening and hearing of your word today. Would you help those who are single to find their fulfillment in you? And Lord, may those of us who are married in here, Lord, fight and contend for our marriages, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. All right, so if you're taking notes, we have three points. The first point is called mile-long marriage. Uh, the second point is called the madness of marriage. And then lastly, we're going to talk about the maker's design of marriage, okay? Uh, well, I grew up in the church. Um, I don't know if you've grown up in the church, but if you did grow up in the church or you had a lot of experience in church, you might have had discussions like I had when I was growing up, which kind of looked like this, right? What is the legal limit before I sin? You know what I'm talking about? Like, have you ever had those conversations where you're like, how far is too far? Like, let's try to debate and talk about what's the legal limit before I break God's laws and start sinning. Let me give you an example, okay? When I was in college, I turned 21, and a bunch of us turned 21 at that time, and we all had these discussions about, hey, what does it mean to be drunk? Like, what does that word drunk in the Bible really mean? Is it buzzed, right? Is it just that you could do the sobriety test, right, and like walk in a straight line while tapping your nose? Like, what does it mean to be drunk? And so we'd have these debates. Oh, it's two beers. It's one beer. It's one shot, you know, five shots. It's as long as you can talk and not slur your speech, right? There are all of these conversations about that. In addition, I remember a big topic of conversation uh, as uh, different people started dating was this. It was like, hey, when does sexual sin start? Right, like what's the boundaries, right? Is it when you hold hands? Is it when you kiss? You know, where does that line begin and where does it end? And we debate and talk and discuss about all of these different things and more. And ultimately, I wasted so many hours talking about things that ultimately never really applied to me. Never really, like, I, I, I didn't really need to know all of this information. And yet we argued and debate and talked about it again and again and again. I bring this up because this sermon was one of the most, uh, was probably the hardest sermon I've had to prepare. And particularly because I went through every little question about divorce in my mind. So for example, as I was studying this text, I was like, is adultery really the only way out of marriage, Jesus? Is that really? Well, like, what, 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 but what, what constitutes adultery, Jesus? Like, okay, if, if you said, right, in your Sermon on the Mount a few weeks ago, you said if somebody looks at a woman lustfully with lustful intent, that's adultery. So if a, if a man looks at a woman, uh, you know, lustfully, then can his wife divorce him? Like, is that what you're trying to say? Right, and if so, then every wife would be able to divorce all their husbands because every husband's done it. What does adultery look like? Is it somebody who watches pornography? Is that adultery? Like, what does that mean? And then I started thinking, what about women who are physically or verbally abused in their marriages? And the only way out that they can think of is divorce. Are you really asking these women to stay put? 
and to be under these abusive husbands. Or what about abandonment, Jesus? What if a wife or husband physically abandons their children or their spouse and there's no way for you to find them? Like literally, you don't know if they're dead or alive. Like what do you do then? And you, 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 you want to get married again? What, what happens then, Jesus? Or this one, I, I, really, meant, I really mean this. I, I thought about this. I was like, what if I marry an axe murderer? Like do you want me to continuously remain with this axe murderer no matter what? Is that what you're calling me towards? And so I'm not kidding about this. I literally wrote a response to every single question that I just asked of myself here. And the sermon came out to about 10 pages and I looked at it and I was like, I didn't even get into the portion about marriage yet. I was like, this is going to be way too long. We can't go into all of this. And so I scrapped everything. I restarted and I started rereading the passage. And as I was rereading the passage, it's like the clouds parted and the dove of God descended and like it just dawned upon me what this passage is actually really about. And I really felt like Jesus was saying this to me, Eric, this is exactly what I didn't want to have come out of this passage. I didn't want you to debate and talk and find all the legal limits about divorce and all of this stuff. Like that's not the purpose of this, this passage. He said, Eric, this passage is not about divorce, but it's actually about marriage. In other words, the reason why Jesus gives us this teaching is because the human heart precisely moves towards these kinds of discussions and debates and discussions about where's the legal limits and Jesus is actually trying to squash that kind of debate in this sermon this is precisely the thing that Jesus doesn't want to see happen and so let, let me the, the phrase that came to my mind is this phrase okay give an inch and he'll take a mile have you guys heard this phrase right give an inch and it'll take a mile okay uh in fact i googled it okay and th this is the first thing that popped up okay in google it's from grammarist.com okay and i thought it was a good definition okay given an inch and it'll take a, a mile is a phrase that means if you make a small concession to someone or do a small favor for someone he will expect even more concessions or more or larger favors the idea is that the person does not understand boundaries and will try to take advantage okay so an example of this is my kids okay I, I have clear boundaries for them, right? I say, hey, on the weekdays, on a school night, no TV, no iPad, okay? And therefore, they don't argue with me. They know that's a clear rule. They've tried to break that rule, right? They've tried to move past it, but I'm always so firm on it that they never even ask me anymore. But on the weekends, right, we let them watch 30 minutes of iPad, okay? And so we set up their iPads. We say 30 minutes. We even set a timer, 30 minutes, okay? And so they watch 30 minutes. Uh, they're doing their thing, and then the timer goes off, and without, a sh without like, Every single time they say the same thing, five more minutes, please. And I say, okay, five more minutes. I'll give you five more minutes, okay? And then so they watch five more minutes. And then after five minutes, they say this, you know, can I just finish the show that I'm watching? And then I look at the show, it's like two or three minutes left. So I say, okay, you can watch the rest of your show. And then soon enough, I go and do something else. I'm like cleaning up the house or something. And then I come back 15 minutes later because I've forgotten two minutes have passed by. And they've been continuously watching. And so you see, you give an inch and they take a mile with it. And this is exactly what was happening in Jesus' day. People were having so many discussions about divorce and trying to make these concessions that Jesus is trying to draw a line in the sentence saying, hey, just don't even consider this. Don't even consider this. Uh, see, look at what Jesus says in verse 31, okay? He says in verse 31, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Nowhere in scripture does it say this. Nowhere in scripture does it say command this. Okay, but what happened is the religious people of Jesus' day took this passage and they sort of warped it a little bit. 
Because look, look, this is where they're really pulling it from, okay? They're getting it from Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 to 3. And they're severely taking this out of context, okay? Look at what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 to 3. When a man takes a wife and marries her, okay, this is Moses talking. He's giving them this law here. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house. Verse 2, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. Or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife. You see that? If, if, if. In other words, this is not a command. God never commanded the Israelites to get divorced. He's saying if this happens, then here's what you do next. It's troubleshooting. Right, take for example Exodus 22 verse 1, okay, or oh, sorry, I keep pointing but there's no screen there, okay, 22 verse 1. If, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. He's not saying go kill the ox and, and steal the sheep. He's saying if this happens, because evil does happen, right, these things happen. So if this happens, then do this. And this is exactly what Moses was getting at. He was trying to tell them, if this happens, then do this. But they took it, they warped it, and primarily they warped it because what they were trying to decide in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, and what they were really debating about was this phrase, finds no favor in his eyes. What does that mean? Let's debate. Let's talk about it. Let's discuss it. What does find no favor in his eyes mean? Uh, you know, all of these things, right? And then they were trying to decipher what has found some indecency in her means. And then so they started talking about all those things. And ultimately what they came to the conclusion of was really two schools of thought. And there were some in between that, but it was primarily two schools of thought. And it was this. There was the conservative hardline position of Shammai, okay? That's not Shumai, by the way. I was getting hungry while reading, and I thought it was Shumai, but it's Shammai, okay? And uh, Shammai is much more conservative, and he says, look, the only reason, uh, when I read, uh, finds no favor in his eyes and has found some indecency in her, I say it's only because of adultery. That was a conservative hardline view, okay? But then there was the liberal position of Hillel. He was another rabbi, and Hillel says essentially something like this. For any cause, you can divorce a woman. For any cause. And guess which one won the day? Which one was the more popular view? Well, of course, Hillel's view became popular because men wanted to get divorced. They didn't want to be strapped down. They didn't want to be saddled up, right? They didn't want this kind of thing. So essentially, Hillel's position became the most um, uh, uh, frequented position. And in fact, if you look here at the screens, Josephus was a historian at the time of Jesus. And look at what he says. He's a Jewish historian. Look at what he says. This is his autobiographical statement. He says, at this time, I sent away my wife, being displeased with her behavior. He was displeased with her behavior, and so he sent her away. Then I took, as wife, a woman from Crete. This is what he did. And he, he, there's nothing wrong with this. Okay? Uh, in, um, in, later on, he goes on to say this. Josephus goes on to comment on Deuteronomy chapter 24, and he says this. The man who wishes to be divorced from his wife, for whatever cause, for whatever cause, she could burn the soup, she could burn the rice, she could look at him funny, and he could divorce her, okay? So for whatever cause, and among uh, people, many such may arise, must certify in writing. So he's saying, look, you can get divorced, do whatever you want, but you just got to get in writing. That's it. You have to remember that Jesus is speaking to a specific context, and he was responding to this context in which men were the only ones available to actually divorce. It was their right. And so first, he was speaking to a culture where divorce was a man's right. 
women could not initiate divorce nor would they have wanted to because because of the second point which is Jesus lived in a culture where a woman's identity was wrapped up in a man right pastor Clara talked about this at our prayer service when she spoke on Ruth the book of Ruth but women at that time could not find their identities apart from a man either it came from their father it either came from their husband or it came later on from their sons but they could not escape this because it was the man who gave them their identity their worth at that time and so lastly Jesus lived in a time where having reasons for divorce was incredibly easy for a man to accomplish and so think about it like this right women lived in fear of their husbands they lived in fear right like oh my gosh if I if I burn the soup he could divorce me and if he divorced me then I'm out of my own and I have no identity I have no um, way to make money I have nothing right I, I'm no one and so they would just they would do their best to please their husbands right oh you didn't do this you didn't do this you didn't do this I'm gonna divorce you you better watch out you better be careful and he's basically freeing women and it is in this context where divorce is one-sided where divorce favored men and punished women and where divorce was incredibly easy to get approved by religious authorities and where women lived in fear of their husbands and it is in this context where Jesus says verse 32 he says but I say to you that everyone who divorces look at this now his wife his wife he uses those gender specific right? his wife okay because he's talking to men except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery can you hear a pin drop can you hear the women of Jesus day screaming out like yeah no more oppression can you hear the women being empowered and saying I have a voice in my relationship now like I can actually speak my mind I don't have to live in fear of my husband See, the religious people of Jesus, they took an inch and they made a mile out of it. And in essence, what Jesus is doing is he's drawing a hard line. He's saying, look, like you guys have taken concession after concession after concession. I'm going to bring it all the way back and just draw this hard line and say, don't even talk about it. Don't even think of divorce as an option. It is permanent. Marriage is permanent. Don't even think about this arena. Look, and why does Jesus say this? Why does he have to talk about the permanence of marriage? Because marriage, and listen here now, marriage is so stinking hard. It is so hard. This leads us to the second point, the madness of marriage. There is madness in marriage, friends. This is hard. You know, there is this interesting passage in Matthew chapter 19 where Jesus, in essence, does this bigger and wider explanation of exactly what we're talking about, divorce, okay? And essentially, I'll give you the long story short, but he says marriage is permanent. It's permanent, okay? And after this, right, uh, the disciples are like, they have all these questions. And so they go up to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, uh, look what here uh, at me in Matthew chapter 19, verse 10, okay? The disciples said to him, if such is the case, right, if marriage is permanent and you can't ever get divorced, okay, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. It's better to be single, they're saying. Do you know how Jesus replies to this? I'll give you the short story, okay? Jesus says, yes you're right you're saying something very very true look at what he says in verse 11 to 12 okay this is what this is what he actually responds but look what he says but he said to them not everyone can receive this saying not everyone can be single right but only to those to uh, to whom it is given for there are eunuchs meaning people who are single right eunuchs were single but uh who have been so from birth and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men and there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven let the one who is able to receive this singleness receive it he says yes 
In fact, Paul reiterates these sentiments in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You can go there and read it on your own, but it's, uh, you can look up here on the screens too. 7, 6. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself. Paul was single. But each has his own gift from God, one, one of one kind uh, and one of another. And he's talking here about marriage. Look at what he says in verse, uh, chapter 7, verses 27 and 28. He talks about why it is that he thinks people should not get married like he is. He says it's a concession, not a, not a command. But he says, I think people should live this way. He says in verse 27, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. So don't get divorced if you're married, he says. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. So he says, if you don't have a wife, don't seek one either. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned yet. Those who marry, now here's the part. Those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I will spare you that. <laughs> I'll spare you that. Worldly troubles. Sometimes when I read the Apostle Paul, I just laugh. So I'm like, man, it's so true. <laughs> worldly troubles. Look, Hollywood... The church, our culture, everywhere you look in our culture and society, marriage is painted as this pinnacle that you have to reach. Marriage is this thing where it's like, oh, you have to have it. It's so great. It's so glamorous. Man, it's like awesome. It's happily ever after. And Jesus is saying, I don't know. We got to think again about this. Do you really want to get married? Because marriage is incredibly hard. You know, I remember talking to an older couple once, and uh, they were in their, they're, they're now in their 70s, but at the time when I talked to them, they were in their 60s. And they were telling me about how they got married. Uh, they said they got married in the basement of a church. It was really dingy. They, I think they spent um, $100 on the marriage, and it was all on the food, okay? They just put up some banners and things like that, and they got married there, okay? These days, right, marriage, I've been doing lots of weddings. I mean, I don't know how much the, the, the receipt is now, but I'm imagining it's anywhere upwards of thirty to $60,000 for marriages, I mean, the wedding industry has blown up. You, you want to get rich? Go become a wedding coordinator or go do like wedding stuff and, and watch. Because people have romanticized weddings and marriages to the place where now it's like supposed to be this happily ever after, this amazing romantic thing, and it's going to fulfill me of all of my loneliness, all of the love that I've needed, all of the acceptance that I wanted. I'm going to find it in marriage. And we've romanticized it so much. But look, I think Jesus is trying to get single people to recognize in this passage. He says, look, count the cost before you get married. Because it's hard. There's no way out. It's permanent. Like it's, once you say I do, it's done. You got to be with that person forever. That's why consider very, very carefully. And I think we all think this too, right? We think, okay, well, yeah, okay, I got to count the cost. I got to consider. But also, I got to find the right person, Eric. I got to find the right person. Because if I find the right person, I will be happy. It's not true. It's a fantasy. Even if you were to find the perfect person, they're not the perfect person. It's a fantasy. Uh, did you know that um, shooting uh, cars in the gas tank is a fantasy? You know what I'm talking about? In Hollywood, whenever an action hero shoots a car's gas tank, right? Like, so the car's about to flip over, right? They, they pull out the gun, boom, they shoot the gun, it goes into the gas tank, and then the, the, the whole car just explodes, right? They're like, wow, right? That doesn't happen in real life. This is what I understand, okay? And I've talked to military people. I've talked to all sorts of people who shoot guns, and they're like, that does not happen in real life. If you shoot a gas tank, it just makes a hole, and then the gas comes out. That's all that happens. It doesn't explode, actually. But we've come to believe that that is true because we've watched it in Hollywood so many times. And I think we've, be we've, we've come to a place where we think, if I find the perfect person, I will have my happily ever after. Because Hollywood portrays this all the time in its stories again and again that if you find the right person, happily ever after is waiting for you. But here's the reality. 
When you enter into marriage, you are entering into a lifetime of arguments, debates, disagreements, passive-aggressive statements, standstills, fightings, screaming matches, cold shoulders, silence, and more. Do you want marriage now? <laughs> Look, and those arguments will build and build and build and you will become bitter at your spouse. There will be standstills to the point where you feel like, man, I want to divorce you. And you're going to say that not once, not twice, but several times every month for the rest of your marriage sometimes. You will disagree about family and how much your family should be involved, how much my family should be involved. Why is your mom here all the time, but my mom doesn't get to come over? Why is your mom have say over our kids, but my mom doesn't have say over our kids? Why is that, huh? You're going to argue about that. You're going to argue about your time and about your money, how you should spend it. You're going to argue about, uh, 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 you know, about the fact that, hey, you're spending too much on this or you're spending too much on that. You'll be in a marriage where the other person explodes at you because of something you've said. And so you're going to like shrink back and say like, I don't want to express myself anymore. I'm not going to be me anymore. I'm just going to like, just be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. Because every time I say something, they just explode. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to not be me anymore. You'll get annoyed at your spouse's habits. You'll get annoyed at the fact that your husband takes off his socks inside and out, leaves it in the hamper inside and out. And so you have to reverse it so you can wash it. And you keep telling him, hey, why don't you just turn your socks back the regular way so I can wash it appropriately? You're going to get frustrated at the way they wash the dishes. I told you counterclockwise. Why don't you do it counterclockwise? It's always, you always do it clockwise. I tell you counterclockwise, counterclockwise. You'll be annoyed at how they blow their nose and wash their face. They're going to blow their nose so loud they wake you up and they're going to wash their face so vigorously that there's water everywhere. And you're like, what are you doing? Like you're creating a swamp around you. And look, for all the romantics in the room, please don't hear me ripping away your dream of having a beautiful and wonderful marriage. There is good marriages out there. And you can have that good marriage too. And marriage is beautiful. Don't get me wrong. We'll get there, okay? But at the same time, Jesus is being real. He's just being real. He's just saying, hey, like, just consider it. You're a sinner. They're a sinner. And if two sinners come together, it's really, really hard. And you're sharing not just one, not just two, but everything in life now. You know, in addition, like, I always tell people this, like, even though you might find the perfect person in life, I'm telling you, either you will change or they will change. I'll give you an example for my, uh, I'll give you a few examples and then I'll give you an example for my own life, okay? Um, some of you may have fell in love with your spouse because they were so easy to talk to. It felt like, man, conversations were so easy, free-flowing, all this stuff, and then you get married, and then you realize that same person can have free-flowing conversations with everybody, and now their free-flowing conversations make you feel a little jealous. You're like, hey, why you talk to them that way, huh? Why don't you talk to me like that anymore, hmm? Or maybe you loved how driven they were, how passionate about they were in their field of work, and then now you're married, and they're still passionate about their field of work, and so they don't spend time with the kids, or they don't spend time at home because they're always out trying to do the thing that they love to do, and now you're so upset at that very thing. For me and my wife, man, my, my wife, one of the reasons I fell in love with her was because of kindness. My wife was the most kind, most helpful person. I saw that. I was like, man, baby, that is hot. Like, I love a girl who's super helpful, super kind, right? I was like, man, that is awesome. I love it. But now we're married, and this is the very thing we fight about. We fight because my wife is too helpful for other people. 
and she's helping other people and she's helping other people she's sacrificing for other people and I tell her hey baby what about me what about Eric no can you help me a little bit can can you know can you be here with me can we snuggle can we do these things sorry I'm being a little bit too 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 real but this is true this is what we talk about okay like what about me you gotta help me too so then what Jesus tells us who are single don't look for the perfect person come to the one who is truly perfect do you understand that you're already married you're married to Christ Jesus he says that he's the groom and the church is his bride and when he came to earth he rescued you and he bought you and he rescued you and he says I'm gonna marry you I'll never leave you I'll never divorce you I'll never forsake you you are mine and I am yours and I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I love you. I'm kind to you. I'm merciful. I'm gracious. Come to me. I'm the perfect spouse. Let his love fill you up. Because here's the point, friends. If you're single, never, ever, ever get married because you're lonely. Never, ever, ever get married because you're like, man, you know what? I, I, I just need somebody next to me never ever ever get married because you say you know my mom and dad want me to get married and this is you know okay this is it you know I guess this is whatever it is you know don't get married for don't get married because all of your other friends are getting married and you feel pressured to get married don't do that for any circumstances the only reason why you should get married is because you're ready to be the kind of person that what Christ is for us that Christ, when he came, he died, he loved us, he served us, he sacrificed for us, and he continuously serves us and washes us. And when you're ready to be that kind of person for somebody else, then you're ready to get married. Only get married when you love someone so much that you don't need them to do anything for you, but you are ready and willing to serve them wholeheartedly as Jesus Christ served you. Because anything else, friends, I'm telling you, you are going to look to that other person to fill a void that they cannot fill. And you will always be disappointed. You'll always get into fights because ultimately that person cannot be Jesus. They cannot be God. This leads us to our third and final point, the maker's design of marriage. Okay, So I know there are some of you who are married in here. And you're like, well, I've done the deed already. So I'm stuck, okay? What about me? <laughs> well, here's what I think Jesus is saying for you, okay? He's saying fight for your marriages. Do anything and everything humanly possible to stay together fight for your marriages don't fight with each other but do anything and everything humanly possible don't make divorce an option just do everything humanly possible to make it work look at what he goes look at what he says again in verse 31 and 32 he says it was also said whoever divorces his wife let her give her a certificate of divorce right and so the world or the religious people of his day were saying make make divorce very easy and so now Jesus is essentially saying the contrast in verse 32. He's saying, let's make it really, really hard and permanent, in fact. And that's what he's saying there in verse 32. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. He's saying divorce should never be an option. Don't even consider it. But just fight for your marriages. You see in Matthew chapter 19, it's sort of interesting. Um, that's, the sep that's the second passage where he talks about marriage and divorce. And what's interesting is these religious leaders come up to him and they basically say like, when, what's your view on divorce and marriage? Like how easy or uneasy should it be, Jesus? And, and Jesus is, I think in this passage, is my opinion, but I think Jesus is kind of perplexed. I think he's like, what? Like why are you asking me this question? And I think you're asking me this question because you don't really understand marriage. It's like when my son Ezekiel, he's my second son, he, he comes up to me, he says, can we go to Disneyland today? 
And I'm like, bro, you don't understand how the world works, man. We can't go to Disneyland today. Like, what are you talking about? Like, his question reveals that he doesn't understand. And in the same way, I think when the Pharisees come up to him, they, they say this in verse um, 3. They say, the Pharisees come up to him testing him saying, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And I think Jesus is kind of perplexed by it. He's like, what are, what are you talking You don't understand marriage. Let me tell you the reality of marriage, okay? And he goes on to say this in verse 4. He says, he answered, have you not read the whole, the, that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And listen to this. And the two shall become one flesh. So there are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. You're not two individuals now. You're one flesh, he's saying. And what God has joined together, don't you dare separate. In fact, he's saying you can't separate. It's like my son Ezekiel, right? Uh, if, if I hold my hands together like this as tightly as possible, there's no way my son Ezekiel has the strength to rip apart my hands. I have to separate it myself. And he's saying this is how permanent marriage is. And I think what Jesus, the reason why Jesus talks about this one fleshness again is because they don't understand the reality of marriage. The reality of marriage is this, friends, that there is a reality that's happening. It's not just a vow. It's not just a commitment. It's not just some promises you made. But he's saying there's a reality that occurs, that the two actually become one flesh. That's not just sexual talk. That's actually talking about a spiritual reality that's happened. You are now one flesh. And so Jesus is asking yourself this, why are you trying to separate yourself from yourself? Do you see how ludicrous that question is? Like, Why are you trying to decipher when it's appropriate to separate yourself from yourself? That's like me asking you, hey, when is it legal for me to cut off my arm? You'd say, I don't know, but I don't think that's a good idea. Like, I, like do you understand how the arm works and how it's attached to your body? Do you understand these things? Jesus is saying, don't even, like, why are you trying to separate yourself from yourself? That's ludicrous that means that you don't clearly understand what's going on we have to change our thinking about marriage your spouse and you are not two different people you are one flesh and so let me ask you this question especially for those of you who are married or if you're in relationships okay why are you always trying to win the fights you know what i mean like why are you trying to win who are you winning against or like that's like me telling like my right arm telling my left arm i won in arm wrestling ha oh, got you we're part of the same like we're the same team we're the same body what are you talking about look when my brother um my older brother he's um two years older than me but he uh played basketball in middle school and i remember watching one of his basketball games and uh, he was a bench warmer he was sitting on the bench the whole time but his team was losing by like 30 points or something by the by the fourth quarter so the coach was like all right i give up just you know go in all the bench warmers okay so my brother got in um they inbounded the ball he got the ball and he just started darting towards it he was like open basket he like ran up to her he's like yeah and he laid it up he's like yeah and he started cheering right but everyone in the crowd was like no what are you doing he scored on his own team he scored on himself yeah, he made a point, but he scored on himself. This is the logic of fighting in marriage. This is the logic of winning in marriage. Yeah, you may win, but you've actually lost. If you win the argument, sure, you've won, but your spouse lost, which means that you've lost. Your whole marriage loses. Your whole family loses. Why are you always trying to win the arguments? Look, if marriage is one flesh and one body, it means this as well, that if you don't take care of your physical body, what happens? You get unhealthy. If you don't take care of your marriages, what happens? It gets unhealthy. If your kids become 
too much and you're always spending time with your kids or if you're spending too much time on video games or social media or other things and you don't spend time tending to your marriage, your marriage will become unhealthy. And so how much time do you put into cultivating your marriages? How much time do you actually put into loving your spouse and making them feel loved? How much time do you listen to your spouse versus barking at them? How much do you listen to your spouse versus trying to make the point over them? Yeah, yeah, but, 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 but did you know this? That's what I always do. Yeah, but you're not hearing me. You're not hearing me. So how can we tend to our marriages? How can we grow and blossom our marriages into beautiful marriages? Because they are indeed beautiful things that God has designed for us to experience the gospel, friends. This is why I believe Jesus gave us marriage. See, oftentimes I wonder, like, why didn't Jesus give us a whole book on marriage? It takes up so much of our life. It's so hard. Why didn't he just give us a book, right? And yet here's the thing. Jesus did give us a book. In fact, Jesus gave us a ton of teachings. And it's actually found in his gospel. The gospel is a marriage. You see, Jesus Christ didn't teach us about marriage. He said, I'm going to show you what marriage looks like. He says, look, I'm going to marry you, the church, sinful people who are going to run away and do adulterous things, right? You're going to worship this idol. You're going to worship that idol. You're going to worship that. But I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to wash you. I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to keep serving you and loving you even though you commit adultery on me. I'm never going to divorce you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. And this is the image of marriage. And this is how we tend to our marriages. And so if you're a couple in here considering marriage, I want to make these you know, messages as practical as humanly possible. Or if you're single, or if you're uh, you know, uh, in a marriage right now, or if you're in a relationship, I, I implore you to read Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. This to me is the summation of the gospel, okay? Let's, let's read it here for a second, okay? Look at what he says in Philippians chapter 2. It'll be up here on the screen. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now, he's going to talk about the gospel now, okay? Verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Count them more significant than yourselves. He says, let each of you not uh, look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others, to your spouse. Have this mind among yourselves. And then look, just skip down to verse 7 with me, okay? He says this, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. This is what we're tasked with, spouses, in our marriages. This is what we're tasked with if you're in a relationship, to take the form of a servant. Look, do you know how to count someone more significant than yourself? Do you know what you do naturally as human beings if you count somebody more significant than yourself? I'll tell you what you do. I can tell you because I do it all the time, which is I listen. I listen to them. I don't just listen to what they're saying. I listen to how they're saying it. I listen to the intent. I really try to understand them. Let me give you an example, right? I, I, as I mentioned, I came from the eco-conference. And at the Eco Conference, they had some kind of like celebrity pastors. No, they're not really celebrities, but they're kind of like bigger name pastors, if you would, okay? And uh, I, there's two pastors in my life who, if I met them in person, I told myself, you know, I, 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 would, just be, I would just become like undone. I will just be like, oh my God, like it's you. Like, can I get an autograph? All these things, right? And the two pastors are Tim Keller uh, and this other guy named John Mark Comer. And I've quoted him quite a bit. 
Well, John Mark Comer came to this conference, okay? And uh, I knew he was coming, so I sat in the front row. I sat, like, right there, right? I was like, I'm going to listen to everything he says, right? And I, I, I was so happy inside. I was like, oh, my, I'm going to meet him for the first time. I was, like, uh, I was, like so happy. And, but, I, I, but, you know, as, as a pastor, like, our, our staff was with us. Our elders were with us. So I was just like, oh, it's cool. You know, I just tried to play the cool. I was like, John Mark Comer's here. I just listen, guys, you know? But inside my heart, I was like, John Mark Comer's here. <gasps> okay, guys, let's get ready. Let's listen. And as he spoke, literally every word I hung on it, every note, right, every uh, uh, pro presenter slide he had, like, I took pictures of it, I still have it on my phone, like, I took all these notes, and I was like, yeah, yeah, that's so good, that's so good, that's so good. Why? Because I considered him more significant than myself. And if you consider your spouse more significant, what you're going to do is you're going to listen to them, even if you disagree with them. You're going to try to understand why they said what they said. And even though you're like, yeah, yeah, but I want to make my point. You sit and you listen to them. And you say, hey, like, I'm not going to argue. I'm going to consider them better than myself. I'm going to count them more significant than myself. Look, friends, I want you to go back and study this passage with your spouse, with your girlfriend, with your boyfriend, with, um, you know, even your friends, okay? And I want you to really think about this because this is the kind of person that Jesus wants you to become before you get married. And in your marriages, this is the kind of thing that he wants you to do. Look, there is no marriage in heaven, Jesus tells us. And I imagine because we're only going to have one groom and his name is Jesus. He's going to be there in heaven. And what our marriages do is they serve as a way for us to live out the gospel every single day, friends. And I want you to know that there is beauty in marriage. When we live out the marriage in this Philippians 2 style, we can experience the greatness and glory of marriage, the, the gospel-shaping, transformative marriages that we desire to be in. We can be transformed. Our spouses can be transformed. People can be blessed. People can have joy. You can have joy in your marriages because of the gospel, friends. And so I implore you, marriage is truly a beautiful thing if stewarded well. If you say, I'm going to live and lay down my life just like Philippians 2, just like Jesus Christ did, friends. And that is my encouragement to you look if you're single in here I want to encourage you to run to Christ look I know I, I was single for many years I, I've told this before but I was single for 27 years of my life the first 27 years I was single man and it was tough it was so hard like there were so many nights where I was just like man I want a girlfriend like I want like I would I would walk around like I, I think I've shared this story but I'd walk around Disneyland because I lived in LA at the time and I was like Oh, their boyfriend, girlfriend, they're holding hands. I wish I could hold hands with a girl at Disneyland. I was like, I wish I had that. I felt empty inside. I felt like people who had boyfriends and girlfriends or people who are married were so much better than me. It made me feel lesser than. And this is why all the more you have to run to the perfect spouse, Jesus Christ, to fill you up, friends. And if you're married here and you're struggling or if you're in a relationship and you're in here and you're struggling, just remember that you're trying to find your fulfillment in this spouse. That's why you're fighting. You're trying to find all of your love, forgiveness, acceptance, and hope in them, and they can't give it to you. There's only one who can, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he's waiting for you. And he wants you. And he desires you. So go to him, the perfect spouse, and receive all of your love, all of your acceptance, all of your forgiveness, all of your worth in him. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, I want to pray for those who are single in this place, Lord, and I just ask God, that you would help them to be filled. God, that they would not require, God, marriage to feel fulfilled or to be fulfilled, Lord, because they are already married, God, to the perfect spouse, to you, Lord. 
And so Holy Spirit, would you fill them with your presence? Would you fill them with your love? Would you fill them with your goodness, Lord? Lord, for those who are married and are in bitter marriages right now, Lord, maybe even to the place where they can't even look their spouse in the face, Lord, because every time they even look at it, God, they just get angry inside. Lord, I pray that you would share with them your forgiveness, God, so that they could extend it to their spouses. Would you begin healing their hearts, God, of bitterness and sourness and hardness, Lord? Would you open up their hearts once again to love and to grace and to mercy, Lord? And Lord, for those of us in this place who are in relationships or maybe we're just in that middle area, Lord, where we're not good, we're not bad, Lord, would you help us, God, to serve and to wash and to cleanse one another? And God, to live out the fullest expression of marriage, God, the gospel marriages you desire for us, Lord. Would you use our relationships, whether single, dating, or married, Lord, for your kingdom glory, for your glory and for your kingdom come, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.